Father, God of Jesus Christ, I ask you to silence the internal noise of our preconceived beliefs and ideas on our topic today. We need silence so that we may hear your word afresh. So come, Spirit of God, and do that for us. We ask. We need your help. And we approach your word in humility and with great eagerness to hear what you say to us that that word may shape us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is the debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. And so we continue our summer series, No One Ever Told Me, and if you've missed any Sundays, I would encourage you to go online and uh, download the podcast, you can listen to it. Uh, you can just go to the Woodside website, find Royal Oak, and then click on the right on recorded services, and it'll take you to all of our uh, sermon recordings. Today, we need the Spirit to help us, to wipe us clean from all of our preconceived ideas on our topic today, because otherwise, we're not going to hear what Scripture says. Have you ever tried to tidy up your house while your children were playing around you? You know, you pick up five toys and they dump 20. It's like trying to brush your teeth while eating Oreos. (laughs) And that's the danger with our topic today, that our mouths are so filled with the Oreos of everything that we've believed about marriage that if the Spirit of God doesn't help us, we're not going to hear what he has to say to us. We're not going to be cleansed because our topic today is no one ever told me that marriage takes a lot of work. And the reason it takes a lot of work is because Christ is the key to a successful marriage. But we don't believe that, not in practice. We believe that beauty is the key to a successful marriage. 
We believe that money is the key to a successful marriage. We believe that a reasonable spouse, I just want a reasonable spouse in my marriage would be great. We believe that's the key to a successful marriage. Or that having no kids is the key. I mean, I've heard, you know, you've heard it often. You know, people will just say, boy, when my friend Brian and his wife Jane had children, their marriage went bust. I mean, some people feel like this. We believe that uh, similar education or interest is the key to a successful marriage. We believe that living at least eight hours away from our in-laws is the key to a successful marriage. You know, close enough to visit once in a while, but far enough to deter them from just popping in unannounced. But Christ is the key to a successful marriage. And so let's jump right in. Now, if you're not married, don't check out, okay? Because this is also for you. You don't know that God may have marriage for you in your future. And I've seen a lot of people, or well, not a lot, but I've seen people in their 50s and 60s get married for the first time. And the time to get your convictions, your biblical convictions about marriage is before you get married. But also, I'm pretty sure that all of us here have friends or family members who are married. And so this sermon will equip you to be a good counselor to them. And if, if you're married, you know that you need good counseling in your marriage, if it's gonna make it, and more than make it, thrive. So, we're gonna jump right in. Uh, We could do 10 sermons on this passage, but we get one. Uh, It's so rich, so I want us to really taste it. I want us to set aside the Oreos so we can really hear what God is saying to us on this topic. Number one, submit your marriage to Christ. Now, I'm gonna need you to stay with me the whole time. You know, we have, there are steps to this argument. So I need you to stay with me. Don't just cue in when something's funny, okay? I need you to stay right with me so you don't get lost in the argument. So number one, submit your marriage to Christ. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, To the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives. Now, let's stop right there. I wanted to start this passage uh, at verse 18 because submission is a dirty word for us today. And it was not easier for people to hear it in Paul's day, and he knew this, which is why he he employs so much uh, pastoral wisdom guided by the Spirit of God in talking about the topic of submission. The entire letter to the Ephesians is permeated by the world-shattering event of the coming of Jesus Christ. When Paul realized who Jesus was, it shattered his world and began to remake it, but now with Christ at the center. And so everything in this letter is pointing to Christ's life and death and resurrection and what that has done to reconcile man to God and man to man or man to woman in the context of marriage. And so when we get to this point in the letter, he's wrapping it up. He's talking to us about how to live in light of Jesus Christ. And so he says to them to live not as unwise, but as wise, not as foolish, but understanding the will of God. Not getting drunk on wine, but rather being filled with the Spirit of God. Do you see those contrasts? And the last one, not getting drunk on wine, but being filled with the Spirit, deserves more attention and more explanation, and so he gives it. In other words, Paul is saying, if you're going to be filled with anything, let it not be wine. Let it be the Spirit of God. 
And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit of God? And he gives us four things that describe a person who's filled with God's Spirit. And we find them in verse 19 and beyond. Read with me. This person, they address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They sing and make melody to the Lord with their heart. They give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul says, you know that someone belongs to the Spirit of God because they're eager to sing to one another and to God because they're always giving thanks for everything, the hard things and the delightful things. They're giving thanks to God the Father and because they submit to one another. And that last one, submission, becomes his key word to redefine the relationships between wife and husband, children and parents, bondservants and masters. So marriage, parenting, and work. What do these incredibly important relationships look like in light of Jesus? And so Paul begins to spell it out, and he spends the most time on marriage because of the three, marriage is by far the most life-defining relationship. Listen to me. If your marriage is strong, you can parent and work and face anything. But parenting and work cannot do that for marriage. You could be killing it at work and blowing it at home. You could be very devoted to your children and neglecting your spouse. So you see, it doesn't travel that way. But when your marriage is strong, you can move into the world from a place of strength and rest and face all the difficulties of life unfazed. It's an amazing thing. And so I'm so glad we're talking about this today because our marriages need it. And so, what has the coming of Christ done to the marriage relationship? Oh, it's completely redefined it completely transformed it. You see, the only way that marriage and parenting and work, although today we're focusing on marriage, the only way that these relationships will truly blossom is if both parties submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's gonna, there's another level of submission that Paul is gonna call wives children and bond servants too. But before that, husbands, parents, and masters must know that they too must submit to their wives, to their children, and to their bond servants. And all of those pairs must do that out of reverence for Christ himself. Now, of these two kinds of submission, the one in verse 21 and the one in verses 22 and beyond, the one in verse 21 is the deeper one is the more absolute one. Now, why do I say that? Because that one is grounded in our personhood and not in our roles. You see, in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I, John Morales, am called by God to submit to Anna, not because she's my wife, but because she belongs to God. And she's made in the image of God. And she's a daughter of God and a co-heir with Christ. And she will always be those things. She may not always be a wife. I could die tomorrow. 
but she will always belong to God and be made in his image and be a co-heir with Christ and a daughter of God. And because of that, my posture toward her must always be one of seeking her good, yielding to her preferences or, or yielding my preferences for her good, coming under her, because that's what submission is, right? When you submit yourself, and we all do this in all kinds of ways in our lives, just that when it comes to marriage in our culture, we're like, ah, but we do this. When you submit yourself, what, what are you doing? You're elevating that to which or to whom you're submitting. And this is where Christ lived. This is what Christ did in his life. Now, we, when you submit, I mean, it's what Philippians 2 says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do you see that? So that rather than thinking of ourselves more highly and seeking our good first, no, we invert that and we put others above ourselves. Now, our culture looks at that and says, that's weak. You should never put yourself under anyone. But Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served, and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so there he's using the the language of a servant, of one who lived in submission. And Paul says in verse 21 here, adopt the posture of Christ. Live a life of submission before God and before one another. And if we don't get this, If we don't get verse 21, then we're going to make a mess out of verses 22 and beyond. And of course, we don't get verse 21. And so our courts are filled with divorce cases and our churches are filled with unhappy marriages. But there's hope. There's great hope. And so let's keep going. Number two, submit yourself to each other. So now Paul moves from personhood to roles. He moves from who we are before God, which never changes, to our roles, which do change. Because a mother may not always be a mother, a husband may not always be a husband, a worker may not always be a a worker. And we have to keep these separate, our personhood and our roles. This is very important because in our culture, we tend to over-identify with our roles. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor, I'm a scholar. Yes, but you're first a man or a woman. So I am a woman who practices law. There's a difference, and it's not small. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about how we reduce personhood to roles. We collapse the one into the other. He said that on someone's tombstone, it should say, born a man, died a doctor. And that's not a compliment. It's a reduction of their personhood. So now Paul moves to the roles between husband and wife, and he speaks first to the wife. So let's look at that. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now those three verses are utterly distasteful to our Western ears, both to man and to women. Let's find all the words in those verses we don't like, shall we? Just scan them with me. Verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. The as there we don't like. Verse 24, so also wives should submit 
in everything to their husbands. Okay, so just about all of them. We don't like them. Now, I'm going to give you, there's by and large three views on the roles of husbands and wives, and I'm going to give you first the, the first two that I believe to be distortions of the biblical model, and then I'll give you the view that I believe is the biblical view on the roles of husband and wife. And I hope you see that from these verses. Verse one is egalitarianism. Egalitarianism. This is the, the prevalent view on the roles of husband and wife in our culture. This view is, feels instinctively right to us, especially if you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s. And it feels right to us instinctively because we are products of our culture. We think we're very independent thinking people, but no, we come right out looking just like our culture is. And so it feels instinctively right to us. The view basically says that husband and wife are equal in everything, in every respect. Neither one has authority over the other. So that's the view. The next one I'll call unilateralism. Unilateralism. Now, this is the traditional view of marriage and marriage roles. This was the cultural view in our country in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. This is likely the view of your parents and grandparents. And the view basically says that the, ma- the husband wears the pants in the house, and what he says is law, end of discussion. There is no discussion. So the husband makes unilateral decisions in the marriage, and the wife is a doormat. So this was the prevalent view in our culture just a few decades ago, and also in the church just a few decades ago, and even for many centuries. So those are the two distortions of the biblical model. You know, on the one hand, you have, you know, husband and wife are equal in every respect. The other one, the husband is king. And you can see how one is a reaction to the other. So these are the Oreos you're chewing on right now as I'm trying to make room for the biblical view. What is that? The biblical view is complementarianism complementarianism. And this is the view that says that men and women have the same worth and dignity and personhood, but distinct God-given roles in marriage. Okay? So they complement one another. They complete one another. And this is the view that I'm going to defend for the rest of the sermon. Men and women are equal before God and man in worth, in dignity, and personhood, but we've been given different roles by God in marriage. So let's break this down. God has ordained um, the world, the universe, and he's given great order to it. I mean, I've been reading just from from a scientific standpoint, all the things that have to be ordered in such a way just to make life possible. I'm sure many of you have read about these things. And so God has put incredible order uh, in the world in all kinds of ways. Uh, There's government to order our, uh, our civic and social lives. There are parents to bring order to the home and to the children. Now, on a cosmic level, Christ has been put, uh, uh, everything has been put under him. But even Christ himself is in submission to the Father. And there are texts for each one of these. We just can't go into them right now. And so in marriage, God has also designed order. And in that, he has given distinct roles to the men and to the women, to husband and to wife, so that, so that husbands are called by God to bear the primary responsibility in the leadership of the home, 
And wives are called by God to honor and affirm the husband's leadership. And that's the order that God has brought into the marriage relationship. And it's a beautiful thing. When and only when Jesus Christ is at the center. Remember, this is, you gotta keep all of Ephesians in view here and what Christ has done to every relationship, not least to marriage. It's a beautiful thing, the roles of God given primary, not soul, but primary uh, responsibility for the leadership of the home to the husband and calling the wives to honor and affirm the husband's leadership. It's a beautiful thing when and only when Jesus is at the center, when he creates it, sustains it, and gives it meaning. Let me put it in the, in the negative. If Jesus is not the source, the power, and the purpose of the marriage, then God's order for it goes into the extremes that we talked about. With the husband thinking he's king of the castle and with the wife fighting to be a 50-50 partner. And I know 50-50 sounds really good to us in our culture, but I'm gonna show you before we're done that it's not, it's a trap. And so, when the wife is filled with the spirit of God, verse 18, and she lives in reverence and awe of Jesus Christ, verse 21, she will submit to her husband as to the Lord. That's what verse 22 says, as to the Lord. So we have to ask a key question here. How does the wife or a person submit to Christ? Now, there's so many things we could say here, but we'll just talk about three real fast. Uh, We submit to him willingly, no one is forced or should be forced to be a, a Christian. We are not Islam. We submit uh, joyfully. Joyfully. You know, if you, if you know a Christian, and that Christian says, I'm always at church, but I hate it. You think, uh, that person doesn't get the Christian faith, right? No, we're, we're joyful. We're excited to be here. I hope that's how you feel all this morning. I'd never call anyone on Saturday and say, hey, are you going to be there tomorrow? You better be there tomorrow. No, joyfully we're here. Joyfully we follow Christ. So willingly, joyfully, and completely. There's no area of our lives that's outside of Christ's uh, lordship. Now, in our flesh, we want to keep all kinds of areas outside of his lordship. Oh, but he comes back and he claims them all. And you and I know that he's very good at doing that. And so the wife who's filled with the spirit of God will willingly, joyfully, and completely submits to her husband's God-given leadership. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this is why we say that God gives the primary uh, leadership responsibility to the wife. Because it says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this does not mean that the husband does all the thinking for the wife any more than Christ does all the thinking for the church. Does he do that? No, that's why we're here and we come and we hear sermons and we think, right? He expects us to do that. But what it does mean is that the husband protects and provides for the wife and guides and directs her in the life of the home and sacrifices for her, which is very important. Those are the things, and there's more that Christ does for the church, and these are the things that the husband as the head does for the wife. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, when we read in everything, 
I mean, that just sounds very scary. It sounds scary to me, and I'm not a woman. It sounds very absolute. But let's think about this. Should wives submit to their husbands if he wants her to forsake Christ? No. Good, I think I heard a no. That's good. Uh, Should she submit to him if he wants them to rob a bank together? No. What if if he wants them to uh, watch pornography together? Right. No. What if he wants her to stop thinking for herself? He will do all the thinking. No. Here's why. She has a higher allegiance to Jesus. And to be a Christian, you must think. There's many other things that we must do, but we must at least think. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Mind. Yes, heart. Good. But mind. Right? He expects us to think. So you see, in everything I think means that there's not an area in, the, in life where the wife says to the husband, I do not want you to have anything to do with this part of my life. That would not be right. That would not be good. And so what orients the wife's relationship to her husband is her relationship to her Lord. And she approach her husband, approaches her husband with a willingness uh, and joy and complete honor and affirmation and coming under that she offers to Jesus, knowing full well that her husband never trumps her allegiance to Christ. And that's a massive protection. It's an incredible thing. Some of the most godly women that I've met were not ones that had incredible husbands, were those who were so close to Christ who were able to live even with an unbelieving husband and yet live in submission to him, but be able to see what her allegiance to Jesus called her to first and foremost, and yet still be able to respect and honor and affirm his leadership. We could do 10 sermons on this. Now we move on to the husbands. Now Paul has far more to say to the husbands, just as God had far more to say to Adam than to Eve when they sinned in the garden. Verse 25, read with me, please. Husbands, rule your wives as Christ ruled the church. Oh no, that's not what it says. (laughs) Let's try again. Husbands, abuse your wives as Christ abused the church. Husbands, walk over your wives as Christ walked over the church. I know this is funny, but this is how many husbands we have done marriage throughout centuries. Husbands, ignore your wives. This is a big one today. Husbands, ignore your wives just as Christ ignored the church. What does it say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The primary command to the husband is to love his wife and give himself up for her, which is what Christ did for the church. How different this command is from the unilateral, traditional view of the husband who is checked out from the home and simply expects to be served, heard, sexed, fed. Oh, 
Men, please listen to me. If that's your understanding of your role in marriage, you don't understand the gospel. So don't even try to talk to your wife with the Bible because you're going to wreck it for her. You're going to use it as a deadly, not a life-giving weapon. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. He died for her. Look at verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you men see the awesome weight that we bear before God? Christ died to present the church spotless and radiant. I think so many times we men think that it's our wives' job to make us spotless and radiant. You know, one of the most life-defining times in my life, in our marriage, happened about 10 years ago when God showed me through Scripture, my pastor, and some friends that I had understood leading my wife as making unilateral decisions in the marriage. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. I don't like this, I don't like that. And I was so convicted when they, with great love and grace, showed me this passage and simply asked me, where is that written? And I was like, uh, well, um, I was like reading and looking, um, here somewhere. Um, It was here somewhere. And God began to do surgery in me, actually through this very verse, verse 25. As he's saying to me, because it says, husbands, John, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In our marriage, there's a big shift that took place in our marriage from that point forward. There's a season of repentance of my asking forgiveness from God and for, from Anna for the way that I had treated her so often and my understanding being so messed up. And I'm a work in progress, but our marriage was put in a, on a different path from that point on. Because I understood that God was calling me to lead her, which meant to protect her, to provide for her, to guide us as God was leading us together, and to sacrifice for her, a big one. Sacrifice for her, not to rule her. Now, perhaps some of you, maybe younger men here, maybe you're coming at your wife from the different end of the spectrum, where your view is more, hey, we're 50-50 here. You know, she pulls her own weight, I pull my own weight, she does, you know, her own thing, I do my own thing. That attitude is no better. It will raise no eyebrows in our culture. But you're abdicating your God-given responsibility, men, to lead your wife, to love her, to sacrifice for her, and guide her so that you will present her radiant to God on the day you stand before him, and you will stand before him. There are too many husbands just drifting through life, and the wives suffer for it. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. You know, in our house, there's a saying that became popular a few years ago. Uh, popular in our household, that is. And we use it, use it primarily uh, on a Saturday or on a day off because on those days, uh, everyone uh, usually makes their own thing for breakfast. And so one person will make uh, for himself scrambled eggs, someone else will make French toast, someone else oatmeal, Anna will usually just have a coffee. And so, um, but we can really get into what we're making for ourselves. So, I, for example, will make myself an omelet with mushrooms and ham and Swiss cheese. And so I'll really take my time chopping those mushrooms, you know, and sautéing them. And then I'll watch the heat. You know, you don't want it to be too high or too low. Uh, and I'll fold the thing just so. And this is tricky when you're making an omelet. Have you tried this? I mean, this, this, this is where it goes wrong, you know? And so, and then I'll find a nice plate. You know, I'll go and find one of the nicer ones and I'll just, I'll serve the thing. And sometimes it looks like a Picasso drawing, just not so good. but. Um, you know, but other times it does look good. And so when we're doing this, uh, you know, and there's usually different members of the, of the home in the kitchen at this time, and they're watching this, and so someone will draw attention to this and will say, look at daddy loving himself. And then someone else will chime in and say, yeah, look at him. Look how much he loves himself. And so that's the saying. Look how much we love ourselves. I mean, Anna could just have a, a coffee, but oh man, she puts time into that coffee. Uh, you know, just, and we're like, oh, look at her loving herself. Now here's the thing. We usually don't draw attention to the fact that we love ourselves. We love ourselves. We have a love affair with ourselves. We do it naturally every single day. It's just that we don't draw attention to it. People don't usually say, oh man, yesterday I was just loving myself. I went golfing for four hours. We don't say that, right? Or when, when, when someone asks, hey, what'd you do yesterday? We don't say, oh, I was just loving myself. Well, yeah, I know that, but what'd you do? Well, for six hours, we went on this girl's night out. Oh, we pamper ourselves. It's so wonderful. You know, we, we don't talk like that. But here, Paul draws attention to that fact of life, to the fact that so much of the time, we take great care loving ourselves. And so Paul says, that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he says, because no one hated his own body, but we nourish it, we cherish it. And so you see, it's important for us to become reflective and become aware of how much we love ourselves so that then we as husbands can become reflective about giving that kind of love to our wives. You see how much you love yourself? Do that for your wife all the time. Number three, live out your role in Christ. Verse 31, he's coming to a crescendo here. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, there it is again, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So now Paul here elevates marriage to such a high place. He says that when husband and wife become one flesh, it's a great mystery. But then he says the mystery is that marriage points to Christ and the church. This is unbelievable that the husband loving his wife and giving himself up for her shows to the world how Christ loves the church. 
That the wife willingly and joyfully and completely coming under and affirming and honoring her her husband's God-given leadership shows the world how the church submits to Christ. Is that why you got married? Any other reason will wreck your marriage and cut it off from its life supply. And so let me leave you each with one word as husband and wife. Primarily related to making decisions because this is where marriages feel the pain a hundred times a month. Some more. So men, husbands, yield. Yield to your wife. In anything that you can yield to her, do it. If it's just a preference, you can paint the walls pink or blue, Yield to her. Well, maybe not pink. You know, green or beige. Yield to her. Have mercy on us, ladies. Have mercy on us with these choices, okay? But yield to her as much as you can. Here's why. There will be things, important things in your life related to what God is calling you to do together where you will need to lead her and she will need to follow your lead. And so you'll have to latch on to God and she'll have to latch on to you and then you move forward into the future. And you won't be able to say no to those things. And you're going to have to really work on that together. But for anything else, yield. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there is MasterCard. <laughs> Remember that? Listen, husbands. There are some things you can't say yes to. For everything else, yield to your wife. Okay, wives. Affirm, affirm and honor your husband's God-given leadership. It's very hard to lead you when you're going at every turn, oh, I don't like that. Oh, that's not good. Oh, what's wrong with you? It's very hard. Now listen, I know, I know that your husband can be a knucklehead. I am too. But you chose him, right? You chose him. And so now entrust him to God and edify him with your words, with your actions, with your thoughts. Do people think more highly of your husband when they hear you speak of him? Or do you reduce him in the minds of others because you're constantly reducing him in your own mind? Affirm him. He needs you to be his greatest fan. He really needs this. Okay, and both of you, Seek unity and peace above having your own way. Seek unity and peace. You know, most decisions that we have to make in marriage can wait until we're fully unified. Most of them can wait. There's very few things in marriage or in life that are urgent, which means that we have time to go to God and then come back for more dialogue and understanding. We fight about decisions in marriage like we're in a traffic jam. Get out of my way. I got to get somewhere right now. That's not marriage. That's not most things in marriage. So you can give one another space. Talk, listen, pray, and then talk, listen, and pray some more. God will give you the peace and unity you want and the wisdom you seek. There is so much more that we could say. 
But let me tell you why the 50-50 arrangement that people in our culture, your friends who are not Christians, the, the, the arrangement that so, they, they, they think so much that they want, why that doesn't work. It's a trap. The arrangement where we want equality in everything and fairness in everything, tit for tat, it doesn't work because that's not love. 50-50 is about counting. It's about keeping record. Oh, you did that? Well, I'm going to do this. Oh, you took a trip? Well, I'm going to take a trip. Oh, you heard me? Well, I'm going to hear you back. I've worked 60 hours, so you better work 60 hours this week. Is that how your marriage relation goes? That's a contract. That's not marriage. That's not love. Love is lavish. Love doesn't count. Love keeps no record of wrong, which is where we usually like to keep record. Love is the woman at the end of Jesus' life that broke open the expensive jar of alabaster perfume and poured it all over him to show him how much she loved him. That's love. Love is Jesus himself spreading his arms wide open and bleeding for us to death. That's love. If Jesus had done it 50-50 with us, if he'd met us halfway, none of us would be saved. None of us. We needed him to love us and give himself, his all up for us, all the way. Your marriage will not make it unless the husband gives 100% sacrificial love and the wife gives 100% glad submission. Then beauty is born. My prayer for our marriages and I never saw this growing up, not once. My prayer is that our marriages in our church will reflect the glorious love of Jesus Christ for his bride, his church, and the glad submission of the church to his headship. Let's pray, oh God. That's our prayer. And unless you come and you do this for us, we will be blind and we will be happy with our preconceptions and our ideas and beliefs about marriage that come from our culture and from all kinds of places. And we'll go into one of those extremes. But we want to honor the order that you have brought to the marriage relationship and affirm Your word, God, help us with this. We feel about these things very intensely, and we can be very blind and very set in our cultural, habitual patterns. And so I just ask you that today you would break through that hardness in all of us. That husbands, the husbands here would would learn and know how to love our wives as Christ loved us, his church, and gave himself up for us. And that wives would know how to willingly and joyfully and completely come under and affirm their husband's God-given leadership. And that the watching world, Lord, would see the beauty of Jesus Christ our Lord 
his love for his church and the church's complete trust in him. It's for his glory that we pray.